Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I can't wait to get after it. A couple things on the front end before we get into our message today. I'm a very interactive person. And as you get to know me more over the next several years, you're going to find that I need, I just, I really enjoy audience participation. So there's going to be a couple times today that I need you to respond so I know that you're with me. But if we can all just agree on the front end that we're going to get after it together, it's going to make our time together really special. Can we all agree? Can I get a big yes on three? One, two, three. Yes. I love it. Over the last few weeks as a church, like Jason said, we've been in a series called Relationship Reset. And so the idea of this series is for us to examine the status, the health, and the direction of some of the most important relationships in our lives. And in the process of doing so, we've been inviting you to take somewhat of a self-inventory. And I believe if you're like me, that as you take a little bit of inventory... What you find is that there are times where we veer off course in our roles in relationships. That there's times where we're just not headed in the right direction. Certainly not the direction we want to go. And I think there's a possibility where many of us feel like that more often we're doing things wrong than we are right. But to be fair, I... I, (laughs) I think we have to acknowledge that this is somewhat to be expected. And I think it's to be expected when we recognize that we are so heavily influenced when it comes to these important roles and relationships in our lives. We're so heavily influenced. Which is why we're encouraging you from time to time when God moves to consider hitting that relationship reset button and renew your commitment to God's plan for these significant roles in relationships. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about the role of parenting and the relationship that we have with our kids We've talked about living the single life and we dispelled a lot of myths that surround that lifestyle. And so today we're going to finish up this series by talking about how to be, you ready for it? Married and happy. Anybody married and happy out there? Six of you. All right, tech booth, we're going to buckle in for an extra hour this morning, okay? Yikes. Uh, Okay. Listen, regardless of your relationship status, here, watch this, don't miss this this morning. Regardless of your relationship status, I, I'm really asking you to press in this morning, to press in, because when we recognize that we are part of a church, then we recognize we have an inherent need for one another. Each one of us in here has a responsibility to speak truth into each other, to give grace, to build each other up, to to offer support, to show the goodness of God in each other's lives. Your relationship status, hear me, Eastside, your relationship status does not excuse you from being used by God to make a difference in someone else's life or relationship. So you're like, I'm not married. This ain't for me. Wrong. It is. Doesn't matter your, your status. So let's not miss what God has for each other this morning. How it might challenge us to take a personal inventory to assess the health of our marriages. To maybe even prepare us for marriage. To be an encouragement to a couple that might be here right now this morning. And privately you're struggling 
but you won't say anything because you're embarrassed. Man, God's going to move in this place today, gang. So if you're with me and you're ready to journey with me and you're ready to press in, let me get a yes on three. One, two, three. All right, Father, help us to be ready to receive what you have in your word today. Help our eyes to be open to the truth of this text, regardless of our situation. Help us to be ready to be challenged and pressed in upon, recognizing that we may not have all the answers, but Lord, you do, and we trust you for them. So move in a powerful way, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our goal today, gang, is to unpack, to talk about what God has to say about being married and being happy. And this seems like such an easy task, honestly. I mean, we just open our Bibles. We find all the passages about marriage and we compile them in a way that makes sense. And then we just apply them. And just like that, boom, happy biblical marriages. Anybody just killing it out there doing that? All right, finally, we start telling the truth around here. Okay, this is hard, man. If only it were that stinking easy. See, the problem is, the problem is that the Bible is rarely what informs the building of marriages today. See, the institution of marriage has, by and large, been completely co-opted. And so... It seldom looks like the covenantial relationship that God has intended for marriage to be. This has been the trajectory of marriage for a long time, for a very long time. For centuries, people have misused the gift of marriage and they have sought to make for themselves a self-serving institution as a means to leverage power, to make money, or to simply escape whatever situation they find themselves in. And because there's been this growing lack of care when it comes to marriage, we have seen generation upon generation be negatively impacted as a result. Let me prove that to you. Many of you in here this morning, look here, many of you in here this morning grew up with divorced grandparents. You grew up with divorced parents. You grew up with divorced aunts and uncles and close family friends. I'm sure there are several of you in here today that if we pass the microphone around could give testimony to the horror stories that you have experienced as a result of a failed marriage. This is real. And the reality is that there are some in this room right now this morning that feel like they've experienced a literal hell because of a failed marriage or a nasty divorce. You've seen, or maybe even your life has been torn apart. Church, I hope we recognize that there are very few moments in this life, very few moments in this life, that rival the joy that we experience on our wedding day and the immense pain that we feel on the day a marriage dies. You see, that's not how it's supposed to be. That was never God's intended plan. In the year 2021, a total of 689,000 divorces occurred across the United States. 689,000. During that same year, 1.9 million marriages occurred. 
So instantly you're trying to do the math on what's that percentage? Anybody know what the average length of marriage prior to divorce is? Throw it out if you know it. Three, what else have we got? Five, somebody said seven. Notice we're all throwing out these horrifically low numbers because we know somewhere like we've heard this statistic. The reality is it's eight on average, eight years. So what about that famous statistic we all know that that over all half of marriages end in divorce? Well, it's true, but that's only when it comes to first marriages, half of which are dissolved, by the way. Second and third marriages actually fail at a far higher rate. In the year 2000, a total of 944,000 divorces and annulments occurred. By 2021, just 689,000 occurred. So it sounds like we're, we're on an upswing, right? Like, man, less people getting divorced, that's great. If only that were the case. You see, marriage is in decline as well. In 2000, we had 2.3 million people getting married every year to now 1.9. So people still getting divorced at high rates, less people getting married. You want to know why? Because they no longer believe in the institution of marriage. That's unacceptable. I mean, I, I know, I know that these statistics They paint a pretty bleak picture. But what they tell us is this. Ready? Here we go. That relationships are hard. That marriage is hard. And that it should not be entered into lightly. You see, God gave us, God, not us, God gave us the gift of marriage to experience with him. And so understanding God's purpose for marriage is critical to having a successful one. You have to understand that. Here's what you need to know this morning. That God created marriage to be a covenant agreement between two people, a man and a woman, and himself. That's an unpopular truth. But it belongs to the Lord. We know this is true. Matthew 19 tells us that. Malachi chapter 2 tells us that. We know that the husband and the wife, a couple, is unified by God. They become one flesh, both legally and spiritually, as God ordained for us in Genesis chapter 2. This is a three-way union, gang. It's a three-way union with God at the center, and he forms the foundation upon which we build a happy marriage. Don't miss this. This understanding, this belief about marriage that we just walked through is very different than what the world around us says about marriage. It's very different. Let me share with you some of the common beliefs that the world has about marriage today. This one right here, if, if you're not compatible, it's probably just because you married the wrong person. Anybody ever looked at your spouse and thought like, oh, today, friend, we are not compatible. Anybody? You're like, this person is insane. I need to get away from them. Right? Here's another one. If you're not happy, don't stay in an unhappy situation. You deserve more. That's the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard. 
When does that ever apply to anything real in life? Divorce is always an easy option. You know what? Here's what happened. You probably just fell out of love. Another popular belief in our culture is that your marriage is beyond repair. You see, once trust is broken, it can never be restored. Or lastly, and one that maybe we've been guilty of, even within the church, that your kids should come first because they need you more. See, these little nuggets of wisdom, they may sound good when you're drowning. When you're drowning and someone's like, ah, it's just... Just get divorced. These are not solutions to your problem. These are not solutions. These solutions just ensure that you sink and you drown and your marriage dies. That's what it ensures. Even modern psychology recognizes the profound emotional impact that a divorce has on a person, on a family. This is a statement from an article written by the Scientific Advisory Board. Listen, quote, it is difficult to remember that a divorce is more than the end of a marriage. It is the end of dreams, expectations, family, and friendships. When a person divorces, they are leaving behind the hopes of relationships, so it is an ending. In this way, experiencing a divorce is like experiencing a death. And the process for recovery is very similar. So what does the world have to offer in the wake of this death? A bunch more platitudes and garbage philosophy. I need you to hear this. Only God can bring the healing that is needed in the wake of a divorce. Only God. Some of you know this to be true. Some of you have testimony of how you went through hell. You had this death, but God stepped in and he brought hope. He brought the pieces together and there's still life worth living. Some, we could pass the mic all morning and give testimony to this reality. Some of you are still working this out right now. And you're not sure how it's going to end. But I promise you. Only God can bring the healing that you're looking for. The reality is that we can't talk about marriage and we can't talk about how to be happy without acknowledging the brokenness that often accompanies our human efforts. And so divorce is messy. Divorce is painful and hear me say, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this in church. There are appropriate reasons to get divorced. There are. But that does not make it any easier. It doesn't make it any less a tragedy because something still dies. Divorce is not God's plan for marriage. It's not. You see, God has a unique purpose for marriage. It's really special, actually. There's an author, a guy named Gary Thomas. He wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. If you've not read this book, I I do recommend it. In the book, Gary says that the biblical concept of God's intention for marriage is to make us more holy, not happy. 
Now, (laughs) I recognize that seems to be antithetical to my topic today. Like, bro, aren't you teaching on how to be married and happy? And you just said God didn't care? That's not what I'm saying. If if we're going to talk about how to be married and happy, we have to be in agreement on what our definition of happiness means. We all have different ideas of happiness, right? We have some. For me, happiness looks like a white sandy beach, crystal blue waters, nary a kid in sight, and a cooler of something magical. You know what I mean? That's happiness for me. Having a great time. That may not be you. My oldest daughter, she can't stand the beach. She suffers through it like it's a prison whenever we go. We have different competing ideas on what happiness is, particularly in our marriages and our relationships. My wife would tell you what makes her happy is when I bring the van back with a full tank of gas. So my wife is consistently unhappy because I don't ever do that. I need to, I don't do that. There's an old Puritan preacher named Thomas Brooks. He's one of my favorite. He said this one time, he said, God is the author of all true happiness. He is the donor. He's the donor of all true happiness. He that hath him for his God, for his portion, is the only happy man in the world. And there's a famous evangelist, you may have heard of him, named John Wesley. He once said this, he said, when we first know Christ, then it is that happiness begins. Happiness real, solid, and substantial. You see, true happiness, biblical happiness, is a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's something we should pursue. It's part of God's nature. And in our sanctification, which is a big church word, it just means in our growing to look more like the image of Christ, God's happiness should increase in us. Which means the more you grow to look like Jesus, the happier of a person you should be. Some of you are like, this dude's been going to church for 30 years. And he's always mean mugging me in the parking lot. The more we look like Christ, the happier we should become. So when we say God's intent for marriage is to make us more holy and not happy, it's true. But there's a nuance that I don't want us to miss. To become more like Christ is to become more holy, to be more set apart. That growth makes us look more like Christ, and thus we take on more of his attributes. True happiness being one of them. It's a happiness that is fulfilling. It's a happiness that we get to delight in in both a moment and for a lifetime. It's a happiness that God wants for our marriages, not the kind of happiness that is temporary and fleeting. We all know temporary happiness. We all know happiness flees us. That's not the happiness we're talking about. Human happiness isn't always a bad thing though. Don't get me wrong. Like God has given us the gift of life and there's a lot that makes us happy. We can certainly pursue, we can certainly pursue the things that make us happy and find ourselves, however, steeped in sin. Because, well, these things make me happy. 
yet now we're living contrary to being holy. So it's a dangerous path if we're not careful. There are certainly moments and experiences and situations that can make us real happy. But as with all things in this life, they fade. God does not want our marriages to be built on a human understanding of happiness. He wants our marriages to be built upon holiness, which supernaturally produces a godly happiness in us. Amen? That's what we need, gang. Anybody in here just happy in their marriage all the time? No. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Okay, we need to get the elders together. Uh, You just lay on some hands. It's very, very honest of you, ma'am. Very honest. Is your husband here? Not here today. Okay. Might want to skip that one online later. Okay. Uh, but you're exactly right. I do appreciate that vulnerability. I'll say that too. No, of course not. None of us are. If you're like, yes, you're a liar. It's true. We're just not all the time happy in our marriages because marriage is hard. Marriage is complex. But God wants our marriages to be built upon a holiness that supernaturally produces godly happiness in us. So how do we do that? How do we do that? That's the million dollar question. Well, first we understand that Christian marriage is a divine picture of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. Okay? We're going to unpack this together. I can't wait. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. I'll give you a second to get there. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 33. We'll have it on the screen, but I would encourage you just to have a physical Bible. There's some place around you. If you don't have a Bible, just take that with you. Take it home with you. It's a free gift. Ephesians chapter 5. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but let's work together. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound. That's what Paul says. Some of this makes total sense, but some of this is mysterious. As we talk about Christ and we talk about his bride. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, Paul says. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, (laughs) this is one of the most popular 
and certainly most influential passages to help us understand God's plan for marriage. It is also one of the most controversial passages on the subject as well. Let me tell you why. It's controversial because it calls husbands and wives to commit to certain roles within a marriage. These roles are meant to give clarity, direction, and support to the marriage. But because the world has rejected God's plan for marriage, it's also rejected these roles. You tracking with me on that? Now, to be fair, I don't know that the capital C church has done herself many favors with this passage over the centuries. There have been a lot of leaders and preachers and teachers who have wrongly taught this passage and have manipulated it and its application to fit a certain ultra-fundamental set of ideals. So this is a really important passage, and it's important we understand it. But let me tell you, this passage is never meant to bind. Any place that's teaching you that this is a passage meant to bind you is, is wrongly handling it. This passage is meant to free us. It's meant to free us. This is so important. I said earlier that Christian marriage is a divine picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. Watch. Through his demonstration of love for us, Jesus Christ modeled how to love our partner in marriage. Jesus Christ modeled it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church. Man, I love that picture. As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, Paul says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He says, this is a mystery. But we do it anyway. And the wife must respect her husband. Jesus came to serve and to give himself sacrificially for the church which is exactly what husbands and wives are called to do for one another in their marriages. Sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. If you've been married for any length of time, you understand the challenges of blending the lives of two people who have aspirations but are deeply flawed and sinful into a cohesive partnership. Anybody remember when you first got married and you're trying to navigate all the personality quirks? Apparently, my wife will tell you that I breathe loud when I eat. And apparently, that's driven her to places very dark in her mind of how she might hide the body. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what we're talking about. The blending of two people and all of our proclivities and nuances are, are challenging. Marriage is complex and complicated. We bring our emotional baggage. We bring all the past hurts from previous relationships. But the only way to make a marriage work is for both people to follow God's example and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering before God. 
We must obey the Lord's command to love our spouse unselfishly, laying down our wants and our desires as Christ laid down his life for us. That is not easy, but it is critical to a happy marriage. We must fulfill our roles. Husbands, look at me. You need to lead. You need to lead. Wives, you need to support and encourage. We must work together to pursue Christ. This is the only way to be truly happy. Happy in our marriages, happy in our daily lives. The reality is that when we pursue God's plan for marriage, the outcome is very different than when the world pursues marriage. Check this out. For Christians who are active in their faith and are active in their churches, the divorce rate is 27 to 50% lower than for non-churchgoers. 27 to 50% lower. Nominal Christians, those who simply call themselves Christians but, but don't have a sincere faith, don't, don't have a sincere commitment to a, a church, those people are 20% more likely than the general population to get divorced. You want to have a happy, long, Christ-centered marriage? You devote yourself to him and you devote yourself to his church. You want to just show up and fake it? You're doing far more damage to your marriage than you know. A recent study showed that for Christians, Christian married couples who are active in their faith and active in the church, 72% of all married people of that study are still married to their first spouse. And of those marriages, four out of five would say they're happy. God's plan for marriage works every time. His plan brings about happiness, but it requires that we understand that there are no quick fixes. There are no shortcuts. There are no self-help books that will make us happy and whole. So let me give you a few quick tips on how to apply all of this today, okay? First is this, spouses, date each other. Put it on the calendar, make it a priority. Some of our dates that we go on are really, really boring. I'll just be honest. It's like, how many times can we go to a Charlie's? You know what I mean? How was your week? Fine, how was your week? Fine. All right, just a free-for-all over these rolls and butter. Okay, that's what we're doing. But the important thing is we dated each other. We committed the time and we followed through. Date each other. Secondly, set aside time throughout the year to talk about your marriage and how things are going. Put it on the calendar. Once a quarter at least, we're going to have the conversation. We're going to evaluate. We're going to talk about how things are going. Now, that being said, number three, don't wait until those times to unload everything you're struggling with. Don't look at the calendar and go, all right, two more months, I'm going to bring a weapon. Like, don't do that. You know what I mean? If you're having a problem, talk about it. Let's not end up on Dateline. We don't need Keith Morrison showing up. Like, let's, let's work it out. But plan dedicated time to have that conversation. Okay? 
Don't go the entire year without it. Love your spouse when they are hard to love. You know you're hard to love. You know your spouse can be hard to love. Love them anyway. Men, fellas, gents, step up. Don't be a boy, be a man. Pray for your wife. Talk to her about scripture. Help her see her worth through the eyes of Christ. Tell her she looks hot on the regular. That's right. Gentlemen, if you're not telling your wife that she's pretty on the regular, it's a missed opportunity. That's easy. I was talking to a brother here and talking about giving cards to spouses. And he said, sometimes I just buy my wife a card inside his right. You're hot. And I give it to her. I'm like, that's awesome. Stealing that idea. Be honest about your affections towards your bride. It's a good thing. Ladies, support your husband. Encourage his efforts. When you see him try, say good job. Say what it means to you. Build him up. Be kind. And on occasion, men love this stuff. Look at him and say, you are such a stud. We know it's true. We just want to make sure you know. But seriously, in all seriousness, if you're barely hanging on today, if your marriage is barely hanging on, if your marriage is barely hanging on and your spouse doesn't even know it's barely hanging on, get help. What you have is far too important to let it die. A biblical marriage is worth fighting for. And you'll be happy that you did. Talk to an elder. Make an appointment to speak with Jason. See a counselor. Whatever it takes, move heaven and earth. Fight for your marriage. Lastly, church, I want to end on something fun and encouraging. Here's what you're going to get to know about me over the next several years is my, my personality profile is a bit like an otter. I'm just having a good time out here. You guys want to get in and swim around a little bit? This is me. I'm having a good time. So we like to have fun on occasion, especially with such a heavy topic, okay? So with that in mind, when we started this morning, I made the plea that we need each other. That if we're going to be part of a church, if we're going to be part of Eastside, then we acknowledge that we need each other. And so no matter what your relationship status is, God can use you. That's the beauty of the church. That God brings together a collection of people who don't just sit in rows, but we do life with one another. And we speak truth to each other. We give grace to one another. We build each other up. We offer support and we show each other the kindness of Christ. That's what we do. We need each other. And so there's a lot of wisdom in this room, a lot of experiences in this room, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of ideas. And we need each other. So I'm going to try to make a little bit of a connection if I can here today. So we all agreed to participation. So if you change your mind now, that makes you a liar. And liars, well, you know. 
If you've been married for 10 years or less, stand up. 10 years or less, stand up. I love it. That's so good. Okay. Who's clapping for that? 10 years. You're like, I was in prison longer. Like, okay, listen. Take it off the recording. All right, here we go. Uh, Eight years or less, keep standing. Everyone else sit down. Eight years or less, keep standing. Five years or less, keep standing. Bunch of young bloods. Okay, four years or less, keep standing. Three years or less, keep standing. Two years. One year. (laughs) Yes. Okay. 11 months. Yes. 10 months. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. A couple hours ago? I went. Five. Four. Three. Oh man, it's you guys. How long have you been married? Less than two months. Give it up for him. No, hey, hey. Uh, Stay standing, okay? Okay. Don't go anywhere. We're going to do something real fun, okay? All right. Married couples, on your feet. One more time. Married couples. All right. If you've been married longer, some of you are like, I already know where this is going. I'm not standing. All right, okay. If you've been married longer than 30 years, keep standing. Everyone else sit down. Okay. 30 years, 35 years. 40 years, 45 years, 50 years, 55 years. Is it you guys? Last ones? How long have you been married? 63 years. Oh, man. All right. I need you two to come here. Yeah. You two, you have to come up here. Everyone's staring at you. Let's go. You're going to ruin everything. Get up here. All right. And then young couple right here, super newlyweds. Let's go easy bake. Come on, get up here. You guys are fresh out the oven. Come on up here. Come on. Make some noise for them, gang. Come on. Come on. You got it. Watch your step there. You okay with stairs? Okay, we got you. 63 years. I got you. I got you. Hang tight. Okay. This. Where else do you get this but the church? You get 63 years of life, of ups and downs, of Christ's faithfulness in your life. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. The stories, the tears, the memories, the photo albums. If you're, you have a lot of photo albums? If you're under 20, a photo album is you print the, anyway, we don't have time. And you guys, when? What, what was your wedding date? Uh, 10. 10. <laughs> September. We'll just let her. We'll just let her answer. It's all, yeah, 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 it all runs together. Early part of September, right? This is our hope for you. This right here is our hope. 63 years. And to help ensure that you two get a chance to have some wisdom a chance to build into each other. I'm going to send both couples to lunch 
Whatever, you guys get together, exchange phone numbers. I want the two of you to get the, the couples. I want these two couples. I want you to get together. And I want you to talk about what drew you to each other. I want you to talk about what God's been teaching you. I want you to invest in each other because we need each other. There, these young, youthfulness and excitement and passion, longevity, weather the storms, still loving each other, right? Pretty much. Pretty, he said pretty much, by the way. Okay. Should have done this for Valentine's Day. Anyway, this is for you guys. And I'm sending you to my favorite restaurant, uh, which is Cracker Barrel. So um, enjoy. Let's make some noise for these guys. We're going to pray for you. Thank you. Come on in. All right. No, don't leave yet. Don't quit trying to leave. Okay. Cracker Barrel's still open. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my new friends. Thank you for what we see pictured here. Nowhere else do we get this but the church. 63 years, Lord, your covenant on display. Young, fresh, vibrant love, ready to take on the world with you, Jesus. Planning, hoping, looking forward to tomorrow for whatever you would have. Lord, these two couples need each other. We need to be reminded of how you bring us together how you bond us together. So Father, I lift them up to you. I lift up all the married couples in this room. I lift up those soon to be married, those thinking about marriage, the marriages that are barely hanging on, for the hearts that have gone through trauma, for the deaths that have been mourned as a result of divorce. Lord, we bring all of this to you that you might move in a mighty way here at Eastside, that this place would be a beacon of hope for all marriages, all relationships. Jesus, we need you. We need you now more than ever. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate them together this morning. Okay. Church, let's stand together. Let's get ready to sing.